You're listening to Sportsnet Today with Logan Gordon on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Flames game day, Flames and the Carolina Hurricanes. Two more games to go on this homestand for the Flames. Thursday against Carolina and then Saturday afternoon they welcome in the New Jersey Devils before heading out on a road trip that includes stops in Colorado and Las Vegas. Quick reminder, we're coming at you live from the Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studios here in Calgary, Alberta. For our friends at Doug Lacey's Basement Systems, cracked foundation, Boeing foundation walls, they have a permanent solution to stabilize your foundation. Contact them at dlbasementsystems.com. Dustin Wolf, your starting goaltender tonight for the Calgary Flames, his third career start. Expecting Dennis Gilbert and Walker Dewar to be healthy scratches in tonight's game. We'll get back to the Flames and the Hurricanes in a little bit, but right now, very happy to go down the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline. Welcome in our next guest. Usually have her on Wednesdays. I had to push her to a Thursday, and she was kind enough to agree to do that. Uh, Alice Forfar joins us from Sportsnet 590, the fan and host of the fan pregame show on Sportsnet. What's up, Alice? How are you? Feels weird. I don't know. Thursday vibes, a bit more loose. Who knows what's going to happen? I don't know. <laughs> Maybe Otani news will break while we're going. That would be. Oh, my God. That be something? Are you still wearing Jays gear? I like I like the vibes you're bringing here with the, the daily yep. Jays gear. Yeah. So, honestly, don't ask me anything about hockey because all <laughs> we've been talking about this week is Shohei Otani every day on our show. Good thing the Leafs didn't play since Saturday, though, honestly. And the Raptors, like, they, they're just like a tire fire. But in instead of talking about Leafs, we have spent so much time talking about Shohei Otani. I'm wearing a piece of Jay's gear every day on the show. Today I've got another. I got a, a Looney Dogs t-shirt ready to rumble because he needs to know about the perks of uh, being a Toronto Blue Jays that we have Looney Dog Tuesday. So, yeah, we're working hard to make it happen here in the city of Toronto. It was so funny because I was looking at the Leaf schedule, uh, as I always do, getting ready to talk to you because always something going on with that group. And then I was looking, I was like, man, four days between games. Like, it's kind of kind of sucks you guys had this in November a bit too at the Global Series. You had these long breaks mm-hmm. between games. And I'm like, no, wait, it's Toronto. We're waiting on Shohei. This is actually – Perfect. We don't have to worry about anything with the Leafs for a little while. We can go full on the Shohei train. It's crazy. Like I, when we started to plan out our week, I was like, wait, they don't play till Thursday. And then we know that every day the odds get closer and closer that the Blue Jays might actually land Shohei. So we were like, we're pretty fine with it, but yeah, not playing since Saturday night, which was such a fun game. We were at that one. Of course it was against the, the Bruins hockey night in Canada. They push it to uh, OT shootout and it was just like, Oh, I think it's a shootout of course. Uh, but the overtime period was maybe one of the best I've ever watched. It was so fun. Uh, they once again can't win or even lose in regulation. They just want to play extra hockey all the time. I think they're up to 45 minutes of overtime hockey this season already. That's almost a full game we're getting close to. Like it must be exhausting for them. It must be. Yeah, just looking at this now, going to November. Uh, started November off the shootout loss to Boston. Next week, OT against Tampa. Shootout against Calgary. OT in Sweden against Minnesota, <laughs> OT when they got back against Chicago, and then shootout, shootout, Florida, Seattle to end the month. They must be sick of it by now. Yeah, and we are too. <laughs> yeah, I bet you are. We have, yeah, it, it, like I'm looking at the league standings. Regulation wins. The Leafs are in the very 
bottom of the entire <laughs> NHL with the Canadians, the Kraken, and the Blackhawks with five regulation wins. But when you look at where they are, like it's actually pretty amazing that they still have 28 points because they're getting a point or two. They just went like seven. Ooh, what was their last couple of games? Or like six, two, and two in the last ten. Like they're still getting wins, but they're leaving some points on the table, pushing things to overtime. But I guess we'll take one or two, right? So. Yeah. It's uh, it's been the biggest talking point here. It's really hard to evaluate if that's a sign of okay, this team can't close out games. Uh, okay, is that a is that a, like a mental lapse? Are they letting their foot off the gas pedal? But then on Saturday night, it was the opposite. They pushed and got a goal with like four or five seconds left to send it to overtime. So it's so hard to pick like your lane. Are you frustrated that they only have five uh, five regulation wins, or are you impressed that they're doing? pretty well in their division still. Uh, still have a shot. The Boston Bruins have kind of slowed down at least a little bit in their pace. The Leafs uh, are definitely not out of it to say anything, but it's a weird one. Like that narrative is kind of hard to wrap your head around, but you know, you'll take a win sometimes anyway you can get it. But tonight would be nice if they just won in a regulation because then there's less time for us at the studio, less time for us. Uh, we get to go home earlier. So they, they got a big one tonight against the Ottawa Senators, too. Uh, on the whole OT thing, I wasn't planning on going here, but we had a stretch like that in Calgary here at the end of November. They had a bunch of OT games. So we got into the, the daily discussion about overtime in the NHL right now, about whether you love the shootout or you hate it. Do you want to see more three-on-three overtime? Where are you on that? Do you want to see like an extended three-on-three? Do you want to see it go to 10 minutes? Do you love the shootout? Do you hate the shootout? How do you kind of feel about NHL overtime right now? I've always loved overtime more than a shootout. I feel like a shootout, I mean, it's just, it's a a skills competition. And I, you know, I didn't really get picked much for those. (laughs) But overtime, I mean, I, I see both perspectives. It's, I, I would say if I could change the rule book, I would do a 10 minute OT period. We watched that five minutes against the Bruins and the Leafs um, on Saturday night. And it was honestly maybe the most entertaining, fast paced, chaotic for whatever minutes it was until they, they eventually won it. Uh, and that's, that's kind of what you get when it's three on three. There's not a lot of defense being played. It's kind of go, 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 go. I don't like this idea of adding like a shot clock. Like this is like pretty gimmicky. Um, just let them play. And if you make a mistake and the other team capitalizes, like that's hockey, right? Yeah. And that's kind of what happened. William Nylander kind of ran right into a player in the middle of the ice. who's trying to cut across the center and, and they get down, they get a break and nobody back checked and they scored. And it's like, well, you're probably tired because you've played 45 minutes of overtime. But at the same time, like it's so fun for the fans. I love overtime uh, three on three for sure. Just shows like how fast and skilled some of these players are. Um, I would say 10 minutes, and then I guess at that point you probably go to a shootout, but I'd like to see more of them end in an overtime period than in a shootout because, you know, it's just kind of, oh, yeah, this guy's good. He he scored on the goalie, or in that one case, we got the double shot (laughs) in our game. Oh, yeah, that's right. Uh, That was fun. So, I mean, that doesn't happen often, but I would say I'm more of a fan of of overtime uh, if I had a choice. Yeah, and I'm I'm with you on the – I know they were talking about a couple of different things, that shot clock. They were also talking about – that NBA rule about the over and back thing. And I'm like, ah, I, I think you're just complicating it too much at that point. You're right. Just give me the 10 minutes of three on three. I think we all agree that most of the games are going to be decided in that 10 minutes. And, and if not, I, I agree. We're, we're in 2023, 2024. We don't need to end games in a tie. Let's have a way to finish it out, but mm-hmm. give them a chance to end it in something a lot closer to resembling a hockey game. And as far as I'm concerned, 
three on three is a hell of a lot closer to normal hockey than a shootout is. Yeah. Like, and I think there's like opportunities to try to like try out new things, obviously not mid season, but the PWHL, like the women's league that's starting up, they're trying some interesting things right now in their preseason camp. Not to say that the NHL would go that route, but it is interesting. Like they were just doing um, games where you play the whole two minute penalty even if they score. So you're like, it's like a two minute major kind of thing. Right. And yep. I thought that was interesting because that's something that I, you know, you always hear floated around. Is there a change? Uh, they were playing PKs without ice or with icings. So that, that sucks. Like I would hate that because <laughs> I was a PK machine and I would ice the puck. And I love doing like the, the kind of trap there behind the net. Like I loved it. And if I couldn't ice the puck, I would get, I wouldn't be out there. So um, it's interesting. Like that's a, that's a fun thing that that league's trying out before they have their inaugural season starting. Uh, but I'm sure the NHL will find a way to find a way to try to change something up. They love doing that. And maybe it'd be something during preseason. Uh, but I just hope that they don't mess around too much with things, right? Like, you know, it's a pretty, I think this game is in a pretty good state right now, but you saw what happened with baseball, right? They added the the pitch clock and it was actually probably the best thing they've ever done. Right. So maybe yeah. there's something to be found in the off season, but uh, if anything, just a longer overtime, I, I, I would love it. Yeah. You're always kind of riding that line, I think between, manufacturing like offense and with the things on the power play. And I like, I'm with you. I like what the PWHL is trying with some of those. I'm really curious to see how that works out. I've always kind of been a fan of the whole two minute power play, regardless of if you score, but mm-hmm. you never really know until you see these things in action, what kind of impact you have. Cause you're right. Everybody, every hardcore classic baseball fan was like, you can't have a pitch clock. That's taking away the authenticity of the game. And some of the greats that took their time, Uh, In between pitches, you're taking all that away. And you're right. It's made baseball a hundred times more watchable for the average fan. And you're right. It's it's probably turned baseball around for a lot of people. You just don't really know until it's out there and you've actually seen it, how these things are going to feel and what it's going to do to the game. And, like, you don't even really remember what baseball was like without a pitch clock. It's just already a part of your viewing experience. And I loved it. Like, You make a game, the difference between three-plus hours to nice, like, two-and-a-half, it's so much better. Uh, Shohei, you know, he could take his sweet time if he came to Canada. We would (laughs) welcome him in. You know, I would love love to spend more time down the ballpark if Shohei came, but uh, nonetheless, that rule was good. I mean, I guess with the NBA, their in-season tournament has been unbelievable, and I know that there's some discussions with the NHL about, hey, you guys going to do this? But we had a discussion on our show yesterday with Frank Saravelli, who was at the Seattle um, Board of Governors meeting, right? And they asked the NHL, like, have you seen what's going on with the in-season tournament in the NBA, which has been a weird thing that has turned already great in, like, the span of two weeks. And nobody liked it at first because it was confusing. Like, what are the rules? How does it work? The courts are kind of ugly, whatever. But now it's, like, must-see TV. It made games interesting in November and I guess the NHL was kind of like, well, I don't know, like, we don't need that. Our, our game's in a good spot. Like, we might try it with this World Cup. I'm using air quotes because it's really just four countries. So they're sometimes, I think, hesitant to do something that another league has done. And um, I guess it's the World Cup means that we also get closer to, to Olympic hockey. Then I can't complain too much. Yeah, we'll see. I think the NHL's got to get that focused first before they try anything yeah. big in season because it feels like they're the only ones that can't get that done on a regular basis so we'll wait and see you're right we're still going to get whatever they're going to call that four-team tournament and 
hopefully the Olympics and everything else past that is actually on schedule like they keep promising us it's going to be. Uh, Ailish, tonight it's the debut in Detroit for Patrick Kane. Uh, San Jose is in Detroit to take on the Red Wings. Detroit surprised some teams this year. They're third in the Atlantic right now. Uh, they're three points up on the Maple Leafs. Leafs got two games in hand, though. Uh, what kind of expectations do you have for a guy like Patrick Kane coming into uh, a situation in Detroit where they're already off to a pretty good start this season? Yeah, I think we talked about like the recovery is a tough one. Um, but, you know, when you're set up for success and the, the best doctors, the best training facilities, I think he's going to come out probably feeling a bit slower, but from the eyes of us, we'll probably be just like, wow, he never missed a minute, right? He's got his hands. He's got his hockey sense. I already, like, we have a betting segment on our show at 6 o'clock, and I put him at my bet tonight as an anytime goal. I just feel like that's how things work, right? Like the yep. Hughes brothers scoring the, on the weekend in the Hughes Bowl, right? Like <laughs> I, I wouldn't be surprised if he finds a way. But the good thing is, is he's joining a team that's in a good spot, right? And obviously he got to choose, so it's, I'm not surprised. But, like, let's say he joined a team that was in a bit of a rocky situation. There'd be a lot more pressure on him to perform immediately tonight, right? It's his first game since May of last year. He's already going to be putting enough pressure on himself. But you say it, like, Detroit has been one of the surprises of the season. They're a team that we're always so eager to say them or the Senators or the the uh, Buffalo Sabres are going to be like that team that makes the jump. And Detroit's done it, and they've done it quietly, right? Um, but to bring Cad and, and all of the, the things that they have been able to, to add – over the last couple of years have made a significant difference. Uh, it looks like he's expected to skate on a line with the Brinkat. So, I mean, <laughs> one of his former uh, Chicago teammates, uh, a friend of his, I think it's going to look really good. I think people are going to say that was a great fit for him. I know the Sabres were like the sexy pick because of the hometown connection and, and the idea that that would be a really cool story, but they've had a dismal season. And I wonder if they were just like five wins better if he would have really considered that, but Detroit's a good landing spot. It's kind of, I know it sounds weird because they're like a, a pretty prestigious team, but they don't get as much media attention as some other places. Right. So he can maybe ease himself in if it takes him two or three games to really get cooking. I don't think the world is going to come crashing down in Detroit around Patrick Kane. So I have high expectations. I'm not sure when we see them next, but I'll be really interested um, I just looked it up January. So he'll probably be in full form. Great. Yeah, exactly. Ready to go. <laughs> Great. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, I'm excited for it. I'll definitely try to stream that one while we're watching Leafs tonight because, you know, he's going to be a first ballot Hall of Famer. Um, but it is always interesting when a player takes almost, I don't know how many months that is, like close to, to eight, ten months without yeah. playing a competitive hockey game is is pretty substantial. So all eyes on that tonight. But I think he's in a good spot where it's not – top line pressure immediately to change the like trajectory of the team because they, they are in a pretty comfortable spot right now. Yeah, I like how you put that. My biggest fear with Patrick Kane was someone expecting him to come in there and, and be this hero and be the savior mm -hmm. to a team because, look, I think you're right. I think he's going to fit in nicely there. I think he's going to have a good season, uh, all things considered, playing with Debrinket as much as he will. But he's also 35 years old, and you're right. Last time mm -hmm. we talked, this hip resurfacing surgery, as great as modern medicine is, uh, has taken down a lot of NHLers who thought they could bounce right back and get back to playing hockey. Like, it's not a minor thing he's coming back from. And he's 35 years old. He's never played in Detroit before, or he wouldn't have played in Buffalo before. And I think asking him to go in and potentially, in a situation like Buffalo, the one you talked about, right, where they've 
underperformed this season. They've had some big injuries, and all of a sudden you bring them in, and they're like, oh, this is what's going to turn us around. This is going to snap this losing streak, and we're going to get right back to where we were. Like, I don't think that was ever realistic for a guy like Patrick Kane. No, definitely not. And tonight I was like, okay, who are they playing? They got the Sharks. All of a sudden the Sharks win games. They've got seven wins. Like, I think last <laughs> time we talked, they had zero. Yeah. So I know it is, it is a landing spot that will be comfortable. I think, you know, it's not like they're going up against the Golden Knights or the Kings uh, in that Pacific division. They're headed down to play the Sharks. Um, so I do anticipate, like, he's got a little bit of a runway here uh, to get his feet under him. But, yeah, the age thing and the fact that this injury is not a uh, an easy one to recover from, I, I'm pretty sure I saw Elliot on uh, 32 Thoughts or on the panel on Saturday, like showing what the hip resurfacing surgery was with like this graphic behind him. And I'm like, get this off the screen. It was so <laughs> gnarly. It was like shave down the bone and the, and the ligament. Is, I'm like, no, Elliot, yeah. there's like kids watching this at home. So yeah, it's so icky, but I'm sure like it's probably in better shape, his hip than it ever was. Like they sure. probably put some sort of like bionic, like tendons in there. So he might be the fastest guy out there tonight. Yeah. Who knows? Nowadays they can do just about anything. And yeah, I'm with you. I don't really need to see the, I don't need to see the, I'm sure Elliot could probably oh. find <laughs> video evidence of the surgery and put it on Twitter if he needed to. But I don't think we need yeah. to go quite that far. As, as good of an insider as Fridge is, uh, <laughs> I'm going to draw the line right there. Uh, I do want to ask you, I, I got away from it when we were talking about the Leafs, but it's the Leafs and the Sens tonight. Uh, these are always good games between these two teams, but all of a sudden, Ottawa, 29th in the league. they got 20 points this season. They've won two in a row, but now they bring in uh, a coaching consultant, which is very strange. And all of a sudden, I know they haven't played. Like I think they're lowest in the league in games played at 20 games. I think that's by far the lowest in the league right now. But I was expecting Ottawa to be considerably better this year, and I keep waiting for them to take that step, Alish, but it just never seems to happen for this group. Honestly, I was in the same boat. I was really high on Ottawa to start the season. They have so many good young players, and they're on great deals. Like, they will be set for the next little while with, like, young team-friendly contracts. They've got Kachuk, who's the face of that team. They've got so much talent. But it's been a really weird start and probably very hard for them to gain momentum. They've played, as you said, 20 games. There's teams that have played 28 games. Like, it's so strange to me how that happened. I don't really understand the scheduling of it all. We're saying how it's hard for the Leafs to get momentum. At least I've only played 22. But 20 games is slow, and then it's going to get heavy, right? So you want to hope that you're in, like, a good mindset when you start playing a lot more games and a short amount of time like the Leafs have like four or five even before Christmas like boom 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 back to back so the Sens it's sad because I love the Battle of Ontario like it used to be the thing right when they were playing each other in the playoffs and there was all this rivalry and this like bad blood it was when I was like younger growing up remembering how important those those times were and they've kind of gone in different directions right and so this felt like the start the turning of the tide of Ottawa getting better, even uh, Buffalo getting better, and that that cross-border battle is a good one too. But they've had a slow start. And it's interesting, we talked about this on our show. You would think a team that's, you know, I think you said 29th in the NHL would be considering a coaching change. And everyone you ask, whether it's insiders, whether it's people that work in in the Ottawa market, say – they are not changing their coach. They are not going to get rid of DJ Smith. They believe in him. They have said so. And like, they are steadfast on that. 
and a part of me is like, well, look what a coaching change can do for, you know, the Edmonton Oilers. Like they are all of a sudden in the race, like they yeah. came back to life. And sometimes that really is all that is needed, but maybe they have some sort of perspective that DJ Smith is good enough or he, that the players respond well to him. But I wonder how long they'll hold on to that, like that declaration that they believe in DJ Smith, because if you blow the season and really like at this point, they're not even close. You have so much talent. That's just like, that's another year that they've kind of just done nothing and underperformed. And I get the sense that like people love playing in Ottawa and, and that the players love it there and, and that they're, you know, they dealt with some other drama, of course, this season, but I just think that's interesting, right. For you to stand up and say, we're not changing our coach, no matter what this outside pressure says, no matter what reporters think, we're going to stand by him. So they have a lot of trust in this guy. And, and I think he's got, I guess, the leash to turn it around. And they don't have easy games coming up either, right? So it's uh, they play a lot of games until Christmas. I'm thinking like two, four, six, eight, oh, ten games before Christmas. So, yeah. I mean, they they could just – they could get hot. It's that easy, as you saw with Edmonton, right? Things could change quickly. But uh, I really hope they're not like, going to you know lose some of these really good years with some of their young talent because they have a lot of it. Well, and it was interesting. I heard Jeff Merrick talking about this with Elliot, and they were getting the sense that the Senators were holding out on DJ Smith so that the next GM, who's not going to be Steve Steos, can come in and make that decision for himself and maybe bring in his own guy. And look, I appreciate that. There's a lot of GMs. It it happened here in Calgary when Brad Treliving came that you inherit a guy, and it's never your hire, and we know those relationships often don't work out but at some point it's like I I don't know if you're the senators is there not somebody that you can go to and say hey look we need to change things up we're not guaranteeing you anything when the new GM comes in in fact it'll be his decision if he wants to keep you or not but we need to make a change right now and we'll give you the chance to run the Ottawa Senators as their head coach and maybe build up your resume and make some changes for us and we hope it goes in a direction for both of us, but it just feels like you're kind of holding it over DJ's head, knowing that that's kind of the next move. They've made the moves on the ice, like Chikrin's there now. You mentioned all the young guys that they have already in the lineup. It feels like that's the last shoe to fall, and if you're going to make him wait until they get a new GM in, well, I don't know, you're kind of doing a disservice to everybody, aren't you? Yeah, and I thought that the the addition of Jacques Martin yesterday, who was what a former coach, and he he spent a lot of time. Uh, he was the longest tenured coach, I believe, in their history to be there, like behind him in the shadows. Like yeah. maybe that's the pressure that DJ Smith needs. Maybe that's like we're not going to fire you, but this guy is going to be right hot on your tail, uh, not to even take your job, but to to you know shape this team up. And that's always interesting. You add somebody to. Uh, a very familiar role. Uh, it, it was a very interesting move. Um, the guy's 71. He's not going to be out on the bench much, but he's going to be around. So maybe that's something that's a vote of, well, we said we're not getting rid of you, but we're going to make the people around you better. And maybe that gives DJ Smith the assistance that he needs. Uh, you know, it's it's pretty valuable guidance. It's like leadership qualities that somebody that had coached Ottawa centers for a very long time definitely had. So I think it'll help. Um, I don't think you make that move uh, without the idea that it's going to be at least like a positivity boost or even like a, a light a fire under DJ Smith type of boost. Yeah. 
guess we'll see what happens uh, starting tonight with the Battle of Ontario. Ailish, always appreciate the time. Thanks for being flexible this week. Really appreciate it. We made it through our entire chat with no Shohei news, so fingers crossed. uh, Before we (laughs) chat next week, we've got something to uh, celebrate with. Oh, I certainly hope so. And my phone, my screen time on my phone this week is going to be disgusting. It's like, I hate that report. Like, That's always the most depressing oh thing God. in the world. On Sunday morning when I get it, I will be like ill when I read how much <laughs> I've been on my phone on Twitter. So let's hope it gets done soon because I just, I, I, we need to, as a, as a collective uh, ca- Canadian country, get our boy here and then we can, we can get excited. Oh, fingers crossed. Enjoy the game tonight, Ailish. We'll talk to you soon, eh? Yeah, thanks so much. No worries. Ailish Forfar joining us down the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline this afternoon. Host of the fan check down. Or excuse me. Oh, that's Matt Marchese. Host of the fan pregame show, excuse me, on Sportsnet and also part of Sportsnet 590, the fan in Toronto. And yes, as you can imagine, four days of no Leafs hockey has everyone in Toronto going full on Shohei Otani. Uh, no news on that. Uh, if you're wondering, I can't pass anything on. At this point, but uh, even here in Calgary, we're on our tippy toes wondering uh, when a decision might come down for what sounds like it's going to be the biggest free agent contract in Major League Baseball history. We'll come back on the other side, finishing up the show on a game day next as Sportsnet Today rolls on here on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Welcome back to the program. Flames game day at the Dome, Hurricanes and the Calgary Flames. Six o'clock Flames warm up tonight with Pat Steinberg. Seven o'clock puck drop with Derek Wills and Corey Sartz right here on your home of Flames. Sportsnet 960, the fan. What can we tell you about tonight's game? Well, Dustin Wolf gets the start in goal. Cam's very excited about playing that Wolf thing every time I mention it. So that's uh, it's the little things, Cam, right? It's a nice new drop just to nice. add to the rotation for Always. surely the many more starts he will get. Well, we have a new Robert drop, right? What are we talking about, Patty? We're, we're talking about game day, Robert. <laughs> Jeez, it's the Flames and the Hurricanes. And if you listen to the Flames Talk post-game show, you might hear things like that from Robert. What are we talking about, Patty? I still don't know what Robert was talking about, but... It was an all-time call last game. If Roberts is fired up Thursday night as he was Tuesday night, probably bad news for the Flames. But we're, we're, that's too far ahead of ourselves. We're worried about tonight. Dustin Wolf gets the start. Dennis Gilbert and Walker Dewar expected to be healthy scratches. We'll see Jordan Osterley paired up with Ilya Sloviov. Martin Pospisil back in the lineup after being a healthy scratch on Tuesday. Back with Kadri and Zeri on that second line for the Calgary Flames. And start's going to be a big question mark for both teams tonight. The Canes got pounded by the Oilers. 41 seconds in Wednesday night, they were down 2 nothing. It left their coach befuddled and angry. We spoke to Corey Lavalette, who covers the Hurricanes in hour one, and he's expecting a much different effort from the Hurricanes tonight. And, Feels like all we've been talking about since Tuesday with the Calgary Flames after their loss to Minnesota is how this team needs to get off to a better start. No more talk for the Calgary Flames tonight. Time to put it into action. Captain Michael Backlund said after the game on Tuesday, we had a meeting, talked about not being prepared, what we need to do to get ready for games, 
And I'm excited to see if they can back that up because far too many times this year. And look, the comebacks are fun. I'm never going to deny that. It's been a blast. It's it's fun to have the OT wins and the third period comebacks. It's super exciting and didn't have a lot of excitement around the Calgary Flames last year. But getting down in games and coming back every third period just isn't a realistic formula for this team to win games on a consistent basis. You need to get out in front of your opponent. You need to spend some time with the lead. They just haven't done enough of that. And you've got some top-tier opponents coming in that aren't going to give up third-period leads nearly as easy. Carolina is going to be one of those teams. They've got one of the deepest decors in the league. New Jersey's coming in on Saturday. You've got games against Colorado and Las Vegas on the road next week. You just can't count on third-period comebacks to be the formula to pick up a win. So they've talked about it. They've talked to the media about it. The coaches have mentioned it. Let's see them put it on the ice tonight. The start going to be a key to watch for at 7 o'clock, Flames and the Carolina Hurricanes. wanted to play you this uh, from a little bit earlier today as well on this Thursday. The guys on the morning show checking in with our pal Jason Bukula from Sportsnet and Sportsnet.ca. Still lots of buzz around the Calgary Flames and their pending UFAs. Of course, they traded one away in Nikita Zadorov and He's in Vancouver now. The Flames have moved on. Ilya Slovioff is up with the group and getting a run on the top six. He's paired up with J- uh, Jordan Osterley for Thursday's game against the Carolina Hurricanes. But there's still lots of question marks around this team and the direction that they might go with Noah Hannafin, Chris Tanev, and Elias Lindholm, of course. Uh, the guys dove into that with Jason, former director of scouting for the Florida Panthers. His thoughts initially on the Nikita Zadorov trade and to look forward for what this group might still do with some of their pending UFAs. Here's Jason Bukula with Russick and Rose on the big show a little earlier on Thursday. Well, first blush, uh, I think I was like a lot of people. I felt like the uh, the return was uh, kind of pedestrian in the big picture. I was hoping for more. I'm not going to lie. Um, but at the same token, you know, this is an example of a player who's pending UFA and has gone public with a request to be moved out of town sooner than later, it really puts a lot of pressure on the general manager and the organization as a whole because outside entities recognize the fact that it's a more urgent scenario than, than most, I guess you would say. And, um, you know, that, that, that affects the return. So, we all know that uh, the Flames tried to do as uh, as best as they could, given their, their situation there. Um, but one thing I will say is that Craig Conroy took control of the situation um, outside of the return itself. Uh, you know, this is his team. This is our group. And, you know, we're not going to uh, delay, even, though, even when we're on kind of getting back into the race, playing better hockey, we're not going to stand by and allow – the inmates to run the asylum per se. And uh, I think they did what they could. Uh, Jason wanted to ask you too. Um, we look at a guy like Noah Hannafin. He's played a ton of games in the NHL. He's 26. Nikita Zadorov's 28. First, both first round picks. What is the age where defensemen can still develop and learn to play at the NHL level? Cause obviously uh, some of those guys are late bloomers. They hit their stride in their late twenties, early thirties. Is there a number from a scouting perspective you guys look at and go, if he's not at this level by this age, chances are he is who he is. 
Yeah, that's a great question. So Dale Talon, who I you know worked with in Florida for a long, long time, and he's been around the, the NHL for over 50 years, he always used to say to us in the room that NHL defensemen aren't going to be projecting to be closer to their finished product to at least 200, ideally 250 games played at the National Hockey League level. Hmm. So if you take that into perspective, you know, Hannafin, for example, I feel like Noah Hannafin's been around for 20 years. Like it's, it's incredible yeah. that he's only 26 years old. Like for the amount of miles he's got on those tires already, like this guy's, uh, this guy's a proven vet already. Um, but he is what he is now. Uh, so is Zadorov. And, uh, but that kind of puts it in perspective and, 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 you know, the longer I was in the, in working with Dale and trying to see things like with Aaron Ekblad, for example, you know, we had some hiccups early with him and it took some time. Um, even with Weegs, it took a lot of long time with Weegar actually, because he spent a lot of time in the minors and, and, you know, he was a later round pick, obviously everybody knows he was a seventh round pick. So that's a little bit different, but, um, you know, it takes time guys. And, and it's, it's, uh, it's a very volatile spot to be position-wise. Like, there's only six of those guys on your roster. Uh, four of them are playing heavy minutes, and uh, it's a heavy load. I'm interested in the trade request part of this, too, because that felt like that really accelerated the whole process. Um, when you were with the Predators or when you were with the Panthers, can you recall trade requests that went public or didn't go public? Like, is there a stark difference between how many are actually made and how many fans maybe hear about? We never, uh, that I can recall, we never had anything leak out uh, the way that the, the Zadorov situation uh, leaked out. And um, actually, I worked, I heard you talking about Marty. Marty's coming on, Jill, and uh, him and I worked together in Nashville. Say hi to him for me, by okay. the way, when, uh, when you get him on. But uh, we worked together in Nashville, and, and it was really, uh, really, David Poyle did a fantastic job of making sure that none of that stuff leaked out. We are I was afraid to have any of our staff uh, speak to anybody with my general managers. There's no, no chance it was going to leak out internally. And then hmm. externally, uh, for whatever reason, we didn't have any agents that uh, felt it was necessary to, to leak out any information that, uh, that would affect the process. So, you know, I like Dan Milstein a lot. I've, I've had a long relationship with Dan. Um, I think he, he does a really good job for his clients. Nikita's, uh, an interesting cat. Uh, you guys have dealt with him a little bit there in Calgary. He's very outspoken. You know, he, he is what he is. And I didn't like it, guys. I, I still don't like it. I don't like doing business like that in, in the open realm. I think it's it's bad business for everybody involved. And I prefer for things to stay in house. Yeah, I, I guess. Can you expand on maybe what you heard or what you were thinking when this all did start to come to light? Like it was in Toronto. It was essentially in the middle of a game as well. Do you remember... A, a request going public quite like that? No, and and that's what I mean. Like, when 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 you when you when you throw something like that out into the universe, especially when a team's in Toronto, uh, that's a pretty calculated decision, in my estimation. I mean, anytime that. You know, when teams are in Toronto or anything's going on in Toronto, it's in any Canadian market, especially like let's just say any Canadian market. I mean, if, if you do the same thing and you're on the road and you're playing in uh, Arizona, like it's not going to catch as many. It's mm. going to catch some eyes, but it's not going to have an immediate uh, rise, if you will. And um, I don't know. I just it was calculated. I've seen a lot of people come through Toronto, uh, not just players, uh, you know, in this type of scenario where, where things have hit the media for requests, but even, you know, management type 
people who have been holding court looking for other opportunities. And, you know, people, people pick on Toronto uh, or pick their opportunities in Toronto to kind of showcase uh, whatever's on their mind. And, and that's unfortunate in my estimation. Um, Jason, how, how surprised are you with how much cap space is now valued in today's game? Ooh, it's uh, well, the, flat cap over the last three years, um, you know, it has really had a monstrous effect on transactions and parity in the league. There's no question about that. It's also fascinating to see how different general managers, different organizations have spent their money to date. Uh, going forward, I'm already starting to get the feeling with the with the uh, spike, the uh, imminent spike in, in, the, in the the cap, that it's going to have an effect on um, transactions that are made not only now but uh, obviously into the future. We already know that, but but it's also going to be uh, have an effect on if you make a trade in the coming months, uh, if you take on a guy with term. So. Um, when you're dealing with flat cap scenarios, you know what your budget is ahead of time. Now you're going to have that, that slush fund, if you will, and some guys potentially coming off your books. Uh, so that's $4 million plus for next year, it looks like. Um, it makes, uh, it, makes the, the lands- it changes the look of the landscape in terms of trades if you want to take on term and projecting into the future if you want to keep a body around beyond the, beyond a playoff run this year. So it's uh, it's fascinating how everybody strategizes it differently, but it's immensely important. Ilya Solovyov got recalled because of the Zadorov trade. Can you tell us what you've noticed scouting the young defenseman in the AHL or, or maybe prior years? Yeah, so he was in Saginaw for one year before he went back to uh, to Europe to play. Um, there's a lot of upside with the player. You know, he's rangy. He's got. Uh, you guys are seeing it already. He's, he's a big body. He's lean. He's not, you know, he's not really super thick or anything like that. But he's not light. Good skater. His handles are uh, his handles project out to be, you know, a two-way D. I don't expect him to score a lot at the NHL level. What I've noticed so far, even with this uh, short stint here at the uh, NHL level, is that and it's going to get even more interesting here, uh, depending on how they roll out their lineup with, uh, you know, Carolina coming in in a bad mood. And then, you know, the Devils, the Avs, and the Vegas school, the Knights on the horizon. Um, like that's, uh, that's, those are tough games. And this kid, um, he's going to have to make his decisions a little quicker, eh, guys? Like uh, inside the offensive blue line, uh, I've seen some turnovers. I've seen some puck decisions, some puck maintenance that, that's going to have to uh, keep to the perimeter a little bit better. And everything's going to have to happen quicker off his stick. And then, of course, uh, defending between the dots in, in, in your defensive zone at the NHL level is immensely important. Um, he's just learning on the job. It's going to take some time. One of the notes in Elliot Friedman's written 32 Thoughts that came out this morning is about Ilya Solovyov. Apparently, when he was recalled, he was sitting on the Wranglers' flight to Vegas for a weekend against Henderson. They hadn't taken off yet, but the door had been closed, so he had to fly to Henderson and then fly right back. Um, do you have any travel stories of recalls, players that were maybe getting recalled and had to planes, trains, and automobiles their way to a hockey game? Nothing like that. I thought that was mm. fascinating. I read, I read the same thing. I mean, that's got to go in the book, right? Like that should be yeah. in the book. Planes, trains, and automobiles—the <laughs> journey of a an NHL hockey player. No, we 
you know, the, the only good news is that uh, he is play, or they, the Wranglers, thankfully, play right in Calgary. And although that, that was an anomaly, that little that little trip, we in Florida, we had our AHL team in San Antonio um, for a stretch. And let me tell you, talk about less than ideal. It's it's hard to get guys uh, called up when you, yeah. you're in Florida and you're playing in, call it Montreal, and you got to try and get a guy in from San Antonio. It's, uh, logistics were horrible. Jason Bukula from Sportsnet and Sportsnet.ca, former director of player scouting with the Florida Panthers. That's part of his interview with George Russick and Matt Rose earlier today on some of the Flames pending UFAs and a bit on Ilya Solovyov and his recall from the Calgary Wranglers since the Nikita Zadorov trade. If you want to listen to the rest of that interview, you can do so uh, wherever you get your podcast. Just look up the big show with Russick and Rose. You know the spots, Google, Amazon, Spotify, or your favorite pod catcher. Of course, we're focused in on the Flames and the Carolina Hurricanes tonight from the Scotiabank Saddle Dome. Lots of other action on the NHL schedule tonight as well, including the Battle of Ontario, Leafs, and Senators. That one goes at 5 o'clock tonight. You've also got the Kings in Montreal to take on the Habs. It's the debut of Patrick Kane for the Detroit Red Wings. He's taking on the San Jose Sharks from Detroit tonight. Sportsnet uh, has you covered with some hockey early on tonight as well. They'll cover the Buffalo Sabres and the Boston Bruins at 5 o'clock. 5.30, Johnny Gaudreau and the Columbus Blue Jackets in New York to take on the Islanders. Got the Dallas Stars and the Washington Capitals at 6. Nashville hosting the Tampa Bay Lightning. Anaheim in Chicago to take on Connor Bedard and the Blackhawks. That's the battle of the first and second overall picks in last year's draft as Connor Bedard takes on Leo Carlson. Flyers and Coyotes at 7 o'clock. Of course, Sportsnet West is where you can watch the Flames and the Hurricanes if you're not listening here on Sportsnet 960. Winnipeg in Colorado, a 7 o'clock start as well. You've also got the Minnesota Wild going for their sixth straight win under new head coach John Hines as they take on the Vancouver Canucks tonight at 8 o'clock. And you've also your late start, New Jersey Devils, at the Seattle Kraken, that one said to go from Climate Pledge Arena in Seattle. In case you missed it a little bit earlier today, Dustin Wolf gets the start tonight for the Calgary Flames. That's going to be his third career start. He, of course, came in relief of Dan Vladar in the second period of Tuesday's loss to Minnesota. Going to get a tough Hurricanes team tonight, but excited to see what Dustin can do. Uh, optional morning skate indicated that Dennis Gilbert and Walker Dewar are set to be healthy scratches tonight, so projecting the lines to look like so. Uh, of course, Backlund with Huberto and um, Coleman, Lindholm, Manjapani, Sharon Govich, Kadri and the kids will be reunited as Martin Pospisil is back in the lineup with Connor Zary and Nazem Kadri, and then your fourth line going to be a combination of A.J. Greer, Adam Brzezicka, and Dylan Dubé. Your D pairings, Hannafin and Tanev, Uyghur with Anderson, and then Solovyov, and his second straight game since being recalled, he'll be on a, a pairing with Jordan Osterleek. Flames coverage starts at 6 o'clock tonight with the one and only Pat Steinberg. He'll get you set with everything you need to know ahead of tonight's game against Carolina. Carolina did not skate this morning, so still up in the air as to who will start in goal for them. But uh, Pat will have your Flames warm up starting at 6, and they'll hit the ice at 6.30 for their pregame skate. We'll get a better indication of what Carolina is throwing out there tonight. And then at 7 o'clock, it's Derek Wills and Corey Sarich on the call once again uh, for the Flames and the Carolina Hurricanes. Quick reminder, uh, you can catch any of our Sportsnet 960 shows wherever you get your favorite podcast. 
Google, Amazon, Spotify, or your favorite podcatcher. Say thank you to Corey Lavalette and Ailish Forfar for joining us on the program today. Corey joined us to talk all things Carolina Hurricanes and take a look at the opposition. And we went around the NHL with our, Paul, our pal Ailish Forfar from Sportsnet 590, the fan in Toronto. Thank you for listening. Whether live or on the podcast, if you uh, sent us a text at 960-960, even a mean one, we appreciate you. Uh, we'll be back tomorrow on a Friday to break down the Flames and the Carolina Hurricanes, plus get you set for an afternoon matchup on Saturday between the Flames and the New Jersey Devils. My outstanding producers on this Thursday have been Cam and Taylor. Enjoy the Flames and the Hurricanes. We will be back tomorrow to break it all down here on Sportsnet 960, The Fan.